Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, which is being streamed once again on Facebook Live, hosted by all our regulars. I mean, nothing bad about that. They're wonderful. They're not much more than regular. And that would be in no specific order. Gina, Mike, Ed, Ed, and myself, Steve, and today with a guest, Brian from Phoenix. We'll ask him later if it's correct that they don't do daylight savings time. As always, following the conclusion of the live show, we will be up as a podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms. We ask anyone listening live or as a podcast to A, join us live to debate and comment, and please send any feedback you may have to our email address, which is the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. Good afternoon and welcome, everybody. Good afternoon, guys. Welcome. Um, special Hi, shout out. Liberty Block pays very, very well to all of its co hosts. It's possible for Gina to go out and follow Pete Buttigieg's advice and buy herself a beautiful new Tesla. Which yes, appears- I paid cash. I paid cash. She Just paid cash. So if you can, uh, you can apply. And if we take you on, I'm sure we can get you the same car and or backdrop. Yes. Yeah. Now she doesn't have to worry about those gas prices anymore. Ah, oh, what are the, what's the gas by you, Brian? Uh, around four, four nineteen. Somewhere okay. In there. <laughs> okay. It may be higher here. I'm not sure, but we're up in the mid fours and I haven't been out today yet. So it may be even higher since it's jumping like 20 cents a day. Um, obviously, we got lots and lots of things going on. We got always Ukraine. We got, um, I think last week, we never even got around to talking about Biden's SCOTUS pick. We got some interesting COVID stuff going on. Um, and what else? Ed Maslish's favorite subject, cryptocurrencies, which we will get to. And I just want to mention briefly and serendipitously, I've always wanted to say that word, on Sunday at the Liberty Forum in New Hampshire, I was honored to be part of a panel on secession slash independence slash peaceful separation, which among its members were myself representing Cal Exit and Americans United for Peaceful Separation, as well as my son and our esteemed leader, Elliot Axelman, who's the president of New Hampshire's independence uh, movement, NHFI, I believe it's called, as well as Daniel Miller, who is a friend of all of ours and a friend of the show who flew in from Texas to be with us. So tomorrow is going to be a full house vote in New Hampshire's uh, assembly or legislature, whatever they call it on the actual constitutional amendment, it will be interesting if even one person has the guts to vote to allow citizens to vote on their future. And having mentioned Daniel Miller, first of all, everybody's being really quiet, so I hope everybody's hearing me. Just wave, don't talk, wave. Excellent. Um, Daniel Miller, I assume most of y'all remember him. He was on our show. He's president of Texas Nationalist Movement and he ran for Lieutenant Governor of Texas. And one thing that's, there's been national talk, obviously, about elections shenanigans. Um, apparently, our esteemed attorney general of late emeritus, I guess you call him, weighed in and told everyone what he thought about Trump's ridiculous charges of election fraud. But 
from what I'm hearing, and I trust Daniel Miller very, very much, there are many, shall we say, irregularities going on in Texas as well. And besides the irregularities, and I don't know if any of you follow Seth Cashel, is that how he pronounces his last name? He's uh, all over the Texas business as well. And also very, very disturbing to me, and maybe I'm naive as cynical as I am, but I have it on very good authority in at least two states that Trump's endorsements come at between $1 million and $10 million at the very least if you want him to endorse somebody. And that is driving me crazy because he's the outsider who supposedly had principles. Ed, there's either something wrong with my uh, screen or you are shaking your head. Sounds like you wanted to weigh in on that. No, it's just disgusting. I mean, he's swampified himself. Is that surprising that this, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it goes on. It surprises me how blatant in your face it is. And it surprises me that even when he himself says, I want to find someone to challenge A, B, C, or D. When you say, okay, here I am, he's like, fork over the money. And it's, this has got, got me really, really upset. And I can go into a whole rant about elections, but I'll leave. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing is, uh, you know, he's batting way below 500 when it comes to endorsing people uh, who are America first. I mean, he, he endorses more swamp people than he does non-swamp people. So I, I you know... I'm, I'm, that helps his average. Doesn't he claim to be like 33 and 0 over the last week or something? Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know what the point of, of winning is if you have if you replace one swamp creature with another. Well, just to, to pick up one more thing about this. So Bannon on War Room once again mentioned something that I had realized a very, very long time ago. Elections are won and lost way, way before the elections. And they're won and lost months and months before the primaries when anyone who is decent in any way is weeded out by the powers that be. By the time you get to actually voting in the primary, the good people have probably been squashed. By the time you get to the general, you're forced to vote for Lindsey Graham. Anyway, I've totally monopolized the show so far. So anybody else who would like to chime in with their most important subject of the week, we can start with that. Yeah, definitely got to start with Ukraine, right? And I, I have to, I have to tip my cap so far to my friend Eddie Guns Maslish because uh, the sanctions are—they're hurting us far more than they're hurting Putin, and there's no sign of him stopping. And uh, you know, between the sanctions and now with Biden banning the imports of Russian oil and gas, the pain is going to be taking place right here. Uh, in America, uh, and it's going to hurt middle class, lower middle class families who, uh, you know, obviously have to pay through the nose at the pump now to, to get to get around, to get to work, to commute and everything. So but what a better way to to make dependence on the government, because everybody's going to be looking for the handouts again and they'll have something else come out and they will hand it out and be the saviors yeah. again. Well, what's so fascinating, that- what's fascinating, too, is all the lies that that uh, you know, Biden spewed during the press event yesterday, where he took no questions. Of course, he had to go back and take his nap. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the lies about not standing in the way being an obstacle to ener- energy production here in the in the U.S. When we all know what's happened with Keystone and all the regulations that they pile on to stop 
energy production here, here at home. And the fascinating thing too, is to watch Kamala, you know, making her a fool of herself again on the, on the national stage, the world stage, when it, pushing all this green new deal nonsense still in the wake of all of this, just speaks to how literally I mean, still in the wake of all yeah. this. This is yeah, they're they're that, literally Mike. they're literally insane. What do you mean ahead, still ahead. in the wake of this though, Mike? This is tied to it. Saki even said it during one of the press briefings. She said that the solution is to stop yeah. by, stop using oil to start using electric yeah. electric power. Right. Yeah. No, like, they're like du- all- they're doubling and tripling down on it. I get it. Like all the poor families have, uh, you know, fifty five thousand to go out and buy a new car, or you know, even one like te- like a uh, Gina's got there, you know. So no, see, the power grid already went out. So I just had like a California moment last year with the windstorms, or I just had like a Texas moment from the winter storm, and boom, no electric. So I had to get rid of my car. I just had a a power grid malfunction here. I think that's how a- quick it went out. I think there's a more sinister motive, though, Gina, Gina, than just making people reliant on the government. I think this is about impoverishing people. Mm-hmm. And I think that they are fomenting a crisis. I've been saying that for over a year. And I don't think it's about how the government's going to bail them out. I think it's about how the government is going to take some extraordinary measures, whether it's creating the situation for martial law to be impo- imposed or... Uh, suspending elections or doing some sort of irregularities with elections like the mail-in voting in 2020. Uh, I think that they are in the process of creating a crisis that they're, they're intending to exploit and take advantage of. And it's not about creating dependency. It's about just taking over. I think right. we're in the final stage of that. Well, I think we, I agree. Go ahead. Go ahead. We don't always use the term great reset, but I, the way it's uh, spoken about Glenn Beck talks about it a lot. That's specifically what it is, crushing everybody into a brave new world where no one will have anything anymore. Is that what you're thinking, Ed? Yes, that is what I'm thinking. I I also wanted to respond to something else Mike said, which is all the lies. I mean, of course, Biden's speech is full of lies, but I think this whole, you know, I wrote an article that I shared with you guys. I think this whole Ukraine-Russia war is, is built on a foundation of lies. And we're being lied to by the same people that lied to us for the last two years about everything, whether it was COVID, whether it was peaceful protests. We're, we're being lied to about Putin being Hitler and about Russia and about Ukraine being some budding Jeffersonian democracy, as I put it in my article. Uh, neither is the case. Um, we're not even allowed to ask the question about whether Putin had any rational motivations for what he's doing or if it's just world you know that he's bent on world conquest and i just he may be bent on world conquest i don't think so it doesn't i don't see anything that appears that way it doesn't look like he's aiming to enter western europe it doesn't look like he's trying to attack western europe in any way Uh, i think that ukraine being a member being pushed as a member of nato was a red line for them and in the same way that if mexico were going to be incorporated into a chinese alliance that would be a red line for us just like the cuban missile crisis showed that Cuba getting Soviet missiles was a red line for us. And we're not, we're not allowed to debate it. Everybody is falling in line. And what's, what's even worse than the lies from the, from, from the media and, and from the Democrat Party, I think far worse is the lies coming from the Republicans that are just lockstep in support of this right. and not offering any counter, counter, uh, counter to, to the lies that are being told to us. Yeah, it, 
it's like the, uh, the, the war drums are being beaten. And I got to tell you, I'm very uneasy with what's been taking place over the last week, what's been coming from Congress uh, in terms of escalating our, uh, our, our own effort into you know, helping Ukraine. I'm really, I'm really concerned with what I've heard over the last week. Um, I assume people are not so happy with Lindsey Graham and his repeated pronouncements. I was ready to kick Lindsey Graham into the center <laughs> of the ocean even before he said that. So, exactly, is Hannity still backing him? I think probably Hannity's at the front of the line beating those drums right now. I think. But is he also saying about killing Putin? I don't know that he's come out and said, said that, but it's just his whole tone and everything is, is playing into this caricature of Putin being, you know, evil incarnate, the next Hitler. And uh, again, there's, there's no nuance. There's no, there's no discussion about the history of how we've gotten here. So again, it's, it's, it's concerning to me what I've been hearing. And it's certainly, if the needle's pushing towards escalating this, it certainly is. It's not going in the other direction of trying Put a stop to this. And going back to primaries, Lindsey Graham always wins because they have crossover primaries. You mean open primaries? I'm sorry. Was there a difference? Just it, usually it, referred to as an open primary. I was looking at Gina driving that fancy electric crossover and my mind just kind of. Democrats can vote in Republican primaries, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. So here's I, a question. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to disappear. You know, I'm, I'm just going to disagree a little with Ed and Mike. I, I do think Putin is a bad guy. I think he's shown it um, by all of the crackdowns that he's been do doing against uh, his own people in the last uh, two weeks. Um, uh, you know, way worse and for way more people than, than the January 6th people uh, here in the United States. Um, the... The Russian propaganda, which I do follow, um, is very ineffective and clumsy. And uh, whereas the Ukrainian propaganda is, is quite effective and, and not clumsy, um, the idea that the United States is going to put missiles in Ukraine is ridiculous. We certainly we didn't even we haven't put missiles in Poland. There, that was that big thing about Obama saying, you know, after the election, I'll, I'll have a little more flexibility with regard to you know pulling the missiles out of Poland, which he did. And they're not there. Um, so, of course, it depends what you mean by missiles, right? You know, obviously they're they're short-range missiles um, in Germany. Um, but you know, the United States government is not a good actor in this at all. Um, but I I do think the the one worrying thing, and my issue of the week is this biological lab thing that has come out that the United States was um, funding. A fairly large number, like 20, 25, 26, 26 um, laboratories in Ukraine to um, study, you know, biological pathogens. I, I tend, you know, if it was one, I'd be like, yeah, okay, they've got a kind of a CDC too, and we're giving them, I mean, we shouldn't give anybody any money, right? But I mean, you could see about 26, that's nuts. And what were they doing? And why, when it came out that the U.S. government scrubbed the web pages that that talked about them, I mean, what does what does the U.S. government have to hide? That really, there's one um, thing I saw today 
showing some of the documents that were archived that connected some of these uh, labs to the EcoHealth Alliance, um, which we know Peter Daszak EcoHealth Alliance was one of the conduits of money to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which probably uh, created the SARS-CoV-2 virus that we've been fighting against for the last two years. And, you know, I, I'm sure Ukraine is a very lovely country, but I can't imagine that they have much better biosafety protocols than the, um, than the Wuhan lab does. So what in the world were we doing? And, uh, you know, I think that question got asked in Congress yesterday and, and Victoria Newland answered it, um, I think incompletely, but truthfully that we were funding these labs. And uh, so, it's very difficult to imagine that this is that this issue is not going to dominate the Russian propaganda and uh, dominate some in the U.S. press trying to figure out what the hell we were doing because there's absolutely no reason we should be funding any biological weapons labs anywhere, much less in Ukraine. Um, and whether they were bio labs or whether they were, uh, you know, bio defense labs or whatever, uh, it remains to be seen, but. You know, they were, they had all of these terrible pathogens in them and there's no, and there's just absolutely no excuse. There's no excuse for us doing that. Well, first of all, Ed, neither Mike nor I said that Putin was a good guy. We didn't, we don't disagree <laughs> that he's a bad guy. The question is, was he provoked? And, and that seems like a, a really legitimate question to ask. You can say that they weren't, that they weren't going to put missiles into Ukraine, but I think it was a red line for Putin. He made it very clear that it was a red line. And in the days in the days leading up to the invasion, Kamala Harris made a specific statement saying that we're not taking it off the table. So well, we're not taking NATO membership off the table. Uh, and, and that correct. is true. She did do that. But I mean, the thing is that, the um, you know, I read articles now that I wish I had read uh, two months ago, which showed that the buildup for this invasion started in December. So, um, right. But you know, I wonder NATO membership what, for Ukraine has been on the table for a long time. Uh, no, no, no. That you know, on paper, but they started moving troops in December, and so it's it it's um, why now? That's the question. There's a lot of theories as to why now. Why why now? Rather Biden's than, president. That's why. Well, Biden was president last year. Biden will be president next year. Why now? There's got to be a reason for it to be right now. And as bad a, an actor as the United States government has been in Ukraine, we haven't done anything lately that has been particularly provocative, not that I know of. Um, so I, I do think, you know, there's a lot of rumors running around that maybe Putin is ill. He certainly doesn't look well. Um, and he's, uh, you know, there's pictures of him at one end of the table and then his general down the other end about 20 feet away. You know, why is that? That's, that's weird and that's not how that's, he- That's COVID, that's COVID, social distancing. Well, maybe it is social distancing, but why is he afraid of COVID? I'm not afraid of COVID. <laughs> I got COVID. So, I mean, I, and Putin isn't that much older than I am, maybe 10 years. So I do wonder whether maybe he is sick, like the rumors say, and maybe maybe he wants to get it done now. Because, you know, let's be honest, oh. if, if, when Putin goes, the coherence of the Russian polity will go with him and we'll get you know, some sort of power struggle or whatever. It, it just when you say, but when you say why now, Ed, maybe the answer doesn't lie in, in Russia, but maybe it lies here. Maybe it was the Biden administration 
that needs diversions and wants to move the agenda in a different direction and increase the provocation. Well, I didn't That's see I that, think. though. I didn't see the increased provocation. I have been paying attention to it. I mean, there's no more provocation now than there was before. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know why now. And I, I mean, it's more need for distraction. That that's for sure. Well, they do need a distraction. I don't think think just distraction, though. I think that there's a plan in place to create a crisis, and I think they knew that COVID, the COVID crisis, was running out. I don't think it's any coincidence that all the all the COVID restrictions are being lifted late February, early March. The invasion takes place February 24th. Uh, You know, everyone's pointing at Putin as Putin being the aggressor. Well, he is obviously the aggressor, but the point is, if the United States did something to make him go back in December when he started putting troops and tanks on trains from Vladivostok, um, I just don't know what the alleged um, provocation was back in December. I, I just don't know what it was. What did I mean? The United it's States so is that not we're going to be at war for the midterms, and it's all absentee ballots. They're planning that far ahead. That's what well, it is. I'm sure they are, but I mean, I, I just don't. I, I just don't quite. I don't quite understand. I mean, I understand that they're taking advantage of the crisis because any crisis they take advantage of, and so they're they're taking advantage of this crisis like anything else. But I just I, and and certainly they've laid the groundwork for. A Russian invasion. I, I still say I, I don't know why now. That's that's my only point. I have a question for the group. Am I hearing a thought that's taking this so far as there aren't two sides to this war? Yeah, yeah that's, that's like been my objection. That's like, Steve. That's like Star that. Wars. You know, I where think the there's em- like five the sides. Emperor is is creating both sides of the war. I don't think that's true. That's. I mean, is that what we're saying that Russia's on our side in this? Well, it's interesting that you draw that you draw that inference or ask that inference because that's something I've wondered. Maybe the, maybe, you know, when I, you know, I don't, I don't like, I don't want to make a, a speculation without evidence, but when you ask what, what was motivating Putin, I mean, what if the Biden people are, are paying him to do it? I mean, what I think they, are we going that far? Yeah. I mean, what, what if that's the, what if that's, what's really motivating this, that the Biden team and the, and the, and the not just Biden, but Soros and the West, you know, these these people that are trying to attack the Western democracies see this as their chance to start unraveling what's going on. And and the war is starting to unravel Western economies, not just the Russian economy and not even primarily the Russian economy. Our economies are our, our economy is starting to, to have the wheels come off and this is going to accelerate that. OK, so, well, we're going with uh, the Gina metaphor too far, aren't we? We got wheels coming off. We got acceleration. You see what you did to us subliminally? And on that note, I just want to mention the story that not only are Americans so dumb that they don't realize electricity doesn't just come straight out of a wall, it needs to get put into the wall. Um, There was a story out there about a severe shortage of nickel. Apparently, batteries are made out of something. And I know to public school educated people, that's a tough concept. But we have this idea that, you know, like those of us who have teenagers, if you don't have money, put your plastic card in the wall and money will come out. They have this thing that electric cars make themselves with no materials, with absolutely no thought to A, electricity doesn't make itself, B, most of it comes from coal, and C, we may not even be able to make the batteries. Forgetting about D, what do we do with the batteries when they die, which is a whole other environmental issue. So (laughs) again, whenever people say, do they think we're stupid? Yes, they do. And the reason they do is because we keep voting for them. 
I think that's a great way to end the show, Steve. <laughs> wow, this is our earliest ever, Ed. <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be the energy secretary in this administration. So go for it, Mike. <laughs> it's all yours. <laughs> There's not much I can I can add to that. You know, I mean, look, I mean, you, you have people that believe in these electric cars, just like you said, like the electricity comes from uh, some magic place somewhere. <laughs> I mean, the electricity comes from coal and and uh, God forbid, nuclear, uh, you know, natural gas and all this other stuff. So you're not getting rid of fossil fuels. I just fuel. had a thought, guys. You know, I know how it is in New York. I don't know if it's like this everywhere else when you fill up for gas during that three minute time. Because in New York, you got to actually hold the handle. Mm-hmm. In civilized states, the handle holds itself down. Hey. But in New York, you got to hold. I forget New Jersey. We'll get to New Jersey gas station. There you go. But when you're not to go there. Like a fool, you get to watch gas station TV and they have these little 30 second things. Maybe this is all a plot to make us stand there at a Tesla charger for 30 minutes and watch their propaganda. <laughs> I, I, I need to get a squeeze ball and start practicing like for pumping in New Jersey. Am I going to be able to do that? Mike, I'm going to assure you. New Jersey, don't they have somebody pump for you? Or yeah, they used to? Illegal. Yes, illegal yes. To we are not allowed to pump our own gas. Yeah, And Oregon too. And if you so, drive, that, that might be changing. There are times on the turnpike where you can wait an hour if you're dumb enough to want to fill up there. Yeah. Yeah. But and what's uh, the reasoning well, behind that? Why would the re- I have no idea. Go for it's it, Mike. Jobs. For, jobs. Yeah, they're protecting jobs. I mean, you know, it's a. No, it's it goes because back, it goes back. I saw an article this week that it goes back to 1949 and the, the dangers of pumping your own gas. Mm-hmm. And mean, that's before cell phones. You know, it's sort of like how uh, how rent control in New York City was a, a World War One measure that is still in place today. It's just a, a relic and it makes no sense. And I, I don't know. I don't and know it really is bad because New Jerseyans say, well, we want somebody there because maybe we don't want to pump our own gas. Well, guess what, folks? Almost every gas station in New York has a full pump available for those who want to pay a little extra money. So obviously it's ridiculous. But. Who, who among us, even if we can have a Tesla, and I realize Gina's didn't work long enough to uh, encounter this problem, but if you're driving cross country and every time you stop, you have to wait a half an hour or an hour to charge up your car, I don't exactly see how that works. I'm not purchasing one regardless. I mean, <laughs> even I, I if somebody know. gave me 60 grand, it's not happening. I'll get two Priuses and I, call I, it good. I mean, I still don't object in principle to stopping a half hour every 400 miles, for God's sake. I mean, I can't drive longer than that anymore. But um, I do think that, uh, I do think that, um, I don't think that Teslas are, uh, you know, quote unquote, env- environmentally friendly, right? Because the batteries are, are very, uh, batteries are very costly and they, and they require a lot of um, environmental devastation to uh, bring the uh, materials out. So, right. I mean, I, I like the Tesla as a car. I think it's a great car, um, but, you know, for $120,000, you know, it's probably not high on my list of things. And, and it's still being massively subsidized, isn't it? I mean, no, not anymore. Well, I think, anymore? yeah, $7,500 from the feds. So, you know, okay, whatever. Remember, Elon Musk, Elon Musk gave, gave his Starlink to the Ukrainian people. So, yeah. And he now supports uh, drilling, I guess, here at home. Yeah, Elon is not stupid. I mean, he's not stupid. I mean, yeah, he goes for the whole um, global warming thing, which is stupid. But I was having an argument with someone the other day about global warming. And, you know, I used the 
the Kirchflechter line, which is, you know, why should we care that in a hundred years we'll have better weather? Um, and he went off and he went off on the whole um, rising seas thing. Now, of course, there is no evidence of rising seas, but uh, we got into a fairly, you know, serious argument. There. Ed, apparently you were so busy preparing for today's episode, you did not see Obama put up his house in Hawaii and the one on Cape Cod for sale because he realizes they're going to be drowned in a few years. So I did not see that. No. Yeah. I mean, well, he, he he's a he's a kind of a Republican too. this guy I was talking to. But, um, you know, they really there's really no excuse for worrying about global warming. Um, and so they you know, they have to make things up. I mean, there are plenty of things that I worry about a lot more than, you know, temperatures being a few degrees warmer. Yeah. Well, even if they got their way on everything, you're talking about a tenth of a degree over a century, something like that. So, well, yeah, I mean, except, I, you know, again, it, 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 not to dis, distract on the whole global warming thing, but, you know, they are moving from COVID to war to uh, That's exactly climate where change I was gonna go, Ed. As, as the various crises, right? Now, there was a very interesting article I put in the chat earlier today about um, how they're going to use... Uh, how they're going to use the the short the oil shortage due to the war to prep us for higher gas prices and and carbon taxes and that sort of um, you know at some point the price is going to go down and they're going to say hey wait a minute instead of like going down why don't we impose a carbon tax or something like that and sort of keep ratcheting up the price so they're definitely trying to use this crisis to sort of ratchet up the made up prices of um, of global warming. Um, well, he he started that that found that, uh, you know, I guess basis when he took office, the first thing he did was, like you said, cancel the pipeline, cancel oil leases, you know, uh, and even his energy secretary said the pipeline's the best way to do it, but we don't want to take on that extra infrastructure right now, you know, so we're just going to depend on OPEC and other foreign countries to... Well. To get our oil to us so let's, let's not uh forget he canceled our pipeline but he let putin open his right <laughs> and you know it's just kind of ironic at this point that just you know yesterday he's announcing all the bans on the imports we all have read the idea i mean yeah. you, you all know that the oil from canada is coming to the united states by train owned by it has to go a different way yeah owned by um number number three billionaire what's his name warren buffett Warren Buffett, mm -hmm. your hat. And Warren Buffett is a big uh, anti-Trump pro-Democrat person. And if they put the pipeline in, obviously his trains would have, you know, which he has a lot of investment in and not have anything to carry. So I, I think there's more political stuff, just like, um, you know, the pipelines through Ukraine were, um, you know, they were taking their cut. Uh, from the Russian gas and the Russians didn't want it. And so they built uh, two pipelines, three or four pipelines around Ukraine to try, stop trying to pay the Ukraine tax. Now, I don't think the Ukraine tax was that big, but on the other hand, Russia just didn't want to pay it. So that's why they did it. Now, you know, now nobody's getting gas and, uh, the, you know, the Russian economy is not doing well. Um, the U.S. economy is is not doing great, but it's we have yet to really feel the effects of this. Uh, okay. this. I'm going to move over to COVID in a minute, but I want to pause for our weekly get free legal advice from our resident attorney segment. So, Ed, that would be you today. And my question is, what are you? What are your thoughts about a class action suit 
getting refunded our money that we paid for Atlas Shrugs, seeing as we thought it was fiction at the time we bought it. Yeah, probably not going to be su- successful. <laughs> I think okay, the, uh, that's why it's a short moment for that segment. <laughs> I think it was uh, past the um, uh, you know statute of limitations on that particular tort. Like they say, make 1984 fiction again. There's yeah. so many COVID stories out there. There's the continuing stories about, gee, we're finding out that maybe these wackos on the right and the Liberty Block types and the Great Barrington Declaration types, maybe they were correct all along. And there's just story after story. There's stories about ivermectin being not only not dangerous, but yeah, hey, maybe it was good. There's a story of some doctor out there saying, you know, I was ripping into you three guys all the time, but maybe you were right. And I kind of apologize. There's also this story about the government paying a billion dollars to promote the vaccines. I wasn't um, sure that they didn't always do that kind of stuff. So maybe that was just my ignorance or did they just spend billions to promote military and defense things? So I, I'm curious about your opinion. About oh, no, they do that. that they were- oh, oh, yeah, no, the government, the government does that all the time, depending on what the uh, issue is. But yeah, it was more blatant with the... Um, vaccine because what they did was they they started paying individual influencers on especially Instagram, but also Facebook and Twitter to to, um, pay them to tweet out support or or put post support for the vaccine on these various social media. Well, now that the WHO has, go ahead. Does that break any rules? Is that something unusual? Well, they were bribing people in places like offering them a freaking beer. I mean, I, I, I think it's probably unconstitutional to do that, but that's just me. I, I actually believe in the separation of, of church and state. <laughs> so since this COVID thing is a religion, I definitely think that uh, the government should stay out. Even if it's not a religion, I, I, I think, you know, like take the cigarette ads. I, I just don't think the government should be taking tax dollars and putting its thumb on one side of the scale of a scientific debate. Even if they're right, whether they're whether they're right or wrong, it's just not their appropriate function, I don't think. But they're doing it to save lives, Ed. Okay. Well, I just don't agree. I don't think that's their function. They're doing it for the children in New York. If well, that, that's what I was gonna say. That's the majority of the commercials, because I know Newsmax, for example, has them on a couple times an hour, and it's the ads that are targeting children's vaccines, and we can all get through this together and the kids will be happy and they're playing. But now uh, the WHO has reverse course again, and now they are for the boosters. So those are just gonna ramp right back up again. Well, I got to tell you, I, I, we, t- we have the TV on here sometimes, and the new tactic is to start advertising for vaccinations for other drugs, whether or like shingles, um, a couple of other, a couple of other um, vaccines have come out or not come out, but they've started advertising for them. And the way they advertise is I'm getting my vaccine. And then instead of it being right. a COVID vaccine, it's something else. But it's to me, it's obviously trying to condition the, the audience to accept the vaccination and to go after the COVID vaccine uh, without actually identifying it. Am I the only one becoming slightly more anti-vax in general because if they lied so bad about this one, maybe the other ones were also not so good? Have you read J- yes. RFK Jr.'s book? Because, oh my God, you'll never take a shot. If you if a tenth of the stuff that he says is true. Yeah, I did not, and that's because I recoil at his tinfoil hatness 
But if he's not tinfoil hatness, then I may have to read that. I, I think there are a couple of things in there that I'm like, ah, that's a little bit too far there, Bobby. But um, but most of it is fairly tinfoilless. Let me tell you. Has, go ahead. Doesn't he have tons of of citing references. <laughs> yeah, and most of them are you know of the sort of. And I'll, I'm. I'm very oversimplifying what is a very long book. Um, they don't test those vaccines either. So he's not saying they don't work. He does, he's not saying they're not safe. He's just saying they don't test them either. What were you going to say, Gina? I was going to say, if you want to find out the most stuff about people, you know, going against the vaccines is talk to your homeschool community. There are so many parents that have had issues with previous vaccines that that's the only way that they can give their kids an education. So they pull them because they're not able, not every state lets you be exempt from them. Um, so yeah, your homeschool community, it's, it's amazing how many kids are linked to autism, how many stillborn deaths right after um, vaccines. It, there's tons of information out there. And that's who I would suggest if anybody has questions, just find your local Facebook groups uh, for homeschooling communities locally. And you just put in the search bar about vaccines and you'll find a plethora of stuff. But again, especially after the whole measles business a couple of years ago when that was going wild, especially. Oh, in California, right? What's that? Was that the California thing with Disney World uh, or Disneyland? York, and it, it bounced back on the uh, Jews and certain segments of the Jewish population is very, very hard um, because it was being blamed on Jews and Israelis. So apparently some vaccines are helping for some things. There was a case of polio in Israel this week. Um, which is getting people quite nervous. So I don't want to believe that all vaccines are bad, but if they're lying so bad on this one, it does make me a little bit unnerved. Well, the point is nobody knows because they don't test them properly either. That's that. That's the essential point. And well, that was, a, that was the same thing with HPV. DNA and, you know, I, again, it's above my pay grade what that means, but it's not comforting. No. Well, they did I, a big push for the HPV vaccines for uh teenagers as well over the last probably five years and that was something we refused um to give my son my middle boy um but there's not enough research on it and they're just willing you know to stick it to them um and they're not really outweighing the or weighing the benefit versus the risks of it long term i think i, I think hpv is one of the things that there is enough research on it is definitely not something you want to give to your kids or take yourself um, because pretty much everybody has HPV. Well, and now, right now, but when it first came when out, it first came it's out, been about yeah. five years, they started pushing it drastically in the yeah. schools. Like that was something for teenagers to get. And that was because our doctor even, you know, and I asked him about it and he didn't have hardly any information for it. You know, and that is one of those things like 90% of the population has it, whether it's, it's dormant or not, you know, so why are you injecting somebody with it? Absolutely. And there was a shocking story that none of us in any way ever even considered in the last two years that because of COVID lockdowns, a lot of people died because they weren't getting other health care. Isn't that shocking? Yeah. I mean, who had ever thought that? No one even mentioned it over the last two years. So, you know, I think you need to have a sarcasm alert. But, you know. <laughs> I hope I don't. <laughs> um, my middle name is sarcasm. That's the S in my in my initials. Uh, <laughs> and then you know we we spoke about the insurance companies noticing far more deaths, et cetera, et cetera. But you talked about timing before, and it, you know, is this coming out so that the 
Democrats can sort of unload all of this off of their backs in time for primaries and elections. Like, oh no, we knew this the whole time and it's only the Republicans who set us up, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, no comments. You, you keep uh, getting us to go silent, Steve. Because you think but that- we, I, There are no words after you speak. You think that I really did my <laughs> Gina, that Tesla, that now she's mad at me for it not working anymore. Um, we never get around to talking much about gerrymandering. So maybe we need to, I know they're, they're starting to praise DeSantis for holding the line, but from what I'm hearing, um, and I don't delve into it too much, the Republicans have basically given up the ship, even in a year when they should have been able to redistrict heavily in their favor. And as usual, they're being squishes and with all kinds of excuses, they're giving in. Mike, what's your opinion? Well, I, we, we've, we've talked about this uh, to some extent already. I think uh, there are definitely some states, and I think New Jersey was even one of them, where Republicans are just not fighting hard enough to get a, a map that is favorable, that is the best that they can get. So I don't know, I think we're, I think Republicans are still poised for a big victory, um, put, putting aside potential fraud and other like-kind issues. Um, but I think this is the other thing that could really quell a, a really big landslide victory in the fall if, if the Democrats succeed in a lot of states and, and, uh, and getting map maps that are in their favor. I have thought about this a little bit. And I, I, I you know, there's a huge um, Democrat uh, effort led by Eric Holder to fight tooth and nail every redistricting plan that the Republicans come up with. And I wonder whether that hasn't cowed them because I think what, I think obviously the, neither the governors of the states nor the state courts nor the federal courts have any thing to do with redistricting at all, but they have all uh, grabbed this power uh, to themselves. And I wonder if they're like one, one court ordered, like I think it was North Carolina, wasn't North Carolina? The court ordered the um, state to accept the, essentially the Democrat plan for- Yeah, the North Carolina Supreme Court, who two of them are running this fall. The maps are just for them. And then the Supreme Court just turned down six to three hearing the case, which is bull, you know, because they said that that is a state thing. Well, then sure, then put that and turn over the flipping ruling and give it back to the state, take it out of the North Carolina Supreme Court's hands. Like judges, that race this year is so critically important. Oh my, because what was that six, three vote that you described that you, that's what the Supreme Court. So they turned down hearing um, the North Carolina legislation had put through or General Assembly, whatever, had put I thought that they only turned down the emergency application. Did they turn down the request for certiorari? As far as I understand it, yes. My understanding is it was just the emergency application. They're still considering whether to grant certiorari on it. I don't believe so. So basically, these districts always end up in courts. Is that how it works? Oh, by the Democrats, right? If the Republican nowadays, there was a Supreme Court ruling a while ago. and I've, I've forgotten exactly what it is, but um, you know, the original Voting Rights Act said something on the order of um, you had to have some majority minority districts so that 
black people had a, a chance to elect other black people to Congress. So that was the basic idea. And of course the Republicans said, that is a great idea. We love that because that just gives them an excuse to gerrymander all the blacks into a few districts. They all elect, they elect three Democrats and the rest of the, you know, North Carolina or Georgia or whatever, you can look at the demographic map, elects Republicans. And so what the whole Voting Rights Act said before was, um, it was a gift to Republicans in the South. And, but there was something recently, and I forget what it was, where it says, no, 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 you can't do that. You've got to do both at the same time. You've got to uh, have majority minority districts so black people elect black people, but then you can't give any one party um, you know, uh, uh, an advantage. And so when, and I, again, I forget this, but Eric Holder is now basically litigating every single Republican attempt to um, do redistricting, but of course, nobody on the Republican side is is litigating something you know like the appalling redistricting they did in New York, in New York right, where they actually took away Republican seats. Well, what would be the point of going to New York court? Yeah, I mean, what would be the point, right? Exactly. Well, the point so, would be to go to the federal court and get it up to the U.S. Supreme Court. But the real answer here is this is no different than any other issue. Republicans' signature move is to surrender and to yeah. preemptively surrender. That's what they do. And, you know, getting back to the Ukraine war that we talked about before, that's that's my big objection on it. The, the Republicans have just surrendered and gotten right behind this war. And, and it looked, I mean, I don't know if it's uh -huh. going to turn into a war involving the United States, but the Republicans are just it falling in line. They're going and supporting the Biden agenda. And, you know, they're, they're making some whiny noises about high gas prices but they're supporting all the policies that are leading to it. And, and surrender, sur surrender implies that they actually desire a different outcome. Right. This is the argument we have all the time, which is that I, I <laughs> tend to go with what you're saying, Mike, that they really don't believe in anything. And the, the only thing they really believe in is crushing real conservatives. Yeah. They're good at that. And MTG, <laughs> MTG sounds great. I mean, she was on this appalling uh, um, bill. Uh, the omnibus bill, you know, she's... Yeah, I was about to get to that. So take that one on, go. They handed out a like 1,700 or 2,700, there was a seven. 2,400 pages. Um, bill uh, to fund the rest of the government for the year. It hadn't, they hadn't passed appropriations because they don't do their jobs. So, um, and then they're given like 12 hours overnight to read it before they're supposed to vote on it. And of course, nobody can do that. And even if you had 27... 100 assistants or whatever, and what each person reads a page, um, you still couldn't get it done in the time because it's written in such obscure legalese referring to various and sundry other laws and edits and whatnot that, you know, you can't understand it. So I think the uh, MTG is leading the charge to like not pass this. Luckily, there are a few liberals who don't like some things in it too. And so it's kind of held up. The last I looked on social media, it was kind of held up in the uh, the house, but I'm sure it's appalling that, you know, not just the money that's thrown, you know, at uh, at foreigners, um, Ukraine, but other people, but all of the graft um, that they can lard. Am I mistaken that there's a 72 hour rule that they have to overrule each time? Yes, they. Th this was the rules. The, the way it works is they have to pass a rule for each bill. And so this rule that they passed, that's what the 
that's what this is. It's the rule that they're that they're introducing. But the rule basically overthrows all the rules and then does this. So there'll be a vote on the rule and then there'll be a vote for passage. And yes, it overrides the 72 hour rule. Which almost never uh, is relevant because whenever they want to, they override it. And right. then they can come back to us and give us all kinds of stories. But again, once again, the voters will still vote for 95% of them to go back. Because like I say, if the primaries don't go well, they say, but do you really want the alternative? If we get rid of Mitch McConnell, then you know we'll get somebody worse, a Democrat. So uh, we have a guest and I want to hear a little bit from Brian. So Brian, do you have the same problems in, uh, you're in Arizona, right? Yeah, I'm in Arizona. Uh, actually, I heard recently there's a bill uh, in the Arizona legislature to divide Maricopa County into four different counties. Okay. Um, Good idea. They're, therefore giving them, you know, more votes and representation, supposedly a more local representation. Um, but I found that to be pretty interesting to, you know, break up the, the whole Maricopa block on, on uh, Arizona in general. So. so how much are you being affected down there from uh, the, the flood coming across the border? How much does it impact you? It's, it doesn't impact me a lot here in Phoenix, but it, it does um, it takes up a lot of the resources in uh, uh, southern Arizona. They get uh, busloads of, of uh, immigrants that just get dumped in, you know, little towns and stuff like that. And they have, you know, no resources to support that. And even though the, I think the one of the gubernatorial candidates is talking about calling out the National Guard and finishing the wall and, you know, just blocking off the whole flow, at least into Arizona that way. Right. So, uh, but ha have things gotten worse there in a sense since Biden took over? Uh, you know, it's gotten, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse in the country. So I mean, right. it just, it's, there's just nothing stopping it with his policies, you know, just a straight shot across, you know, so. Right. Gotcha. You know, excusing the expression circling back, but circling back to Daniel Miller, what's unbelievable that Texas, which is literally being invaded and horrifically affected by all this, is yeah. still voting for a lot of the incumbent Republicans. I think all of them. Quite possibly. I was just being careful with my words. And it, it's just nothing matters if, if the Texans don't care enough to vote out incumbents, then what, what could possibly move a voter to do something differently? Well, I think it's not that the Texans don't care. I think it's that the Republican Party stands in the way. And the Republican Party is, is a corrupt organization that is not willing to fight. And they, the, the only thing they're willing to fight for is to prevent those who would, who would fight from gaining office. So that's really the story of, of the Texas primary last week. I think Steve was uh, right earlier when he said, you know, by the time the, your candidate gets up there, all the uh, good ones have been weeded out. You got whatever the you yes. know, Republican Party is willing to settle on. He's going to love you now. <laughs> Maybe I'm another Tesla. <laughs> well, just think about the Republicans. So, you know, with Texas, the Arizona border and all that. So we've got Republicans voting to send in this omnibus bill it's what 15.6 billion dollars to ukraine to secure their borders 
but they won't even vote to send money to our southern border to secure it. I mean, that just, if any of them ones are getting elected in again, then that, that falls on the folks that are there. The invasion of our so the southern border is an act of love, Gina. It's an act of mm -hmm. love. It's a humanitarian crisis. Says Jeb with the exclamation point. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous, you know, and I want to have faith in, uh, oh, crap, what is his name? Abbott, but... I don't know. It, it's just painful to watch. I'm just going mean, to say that. It's painful to watch. All talk, um, all bark, no bite whatsoever. But if they vote for him, he gets four more years to say, I have my mandate. Just I mean, he's, he can't be any worse than Beto O'Rourke. I mean, come on. Well, that's the problem. Therefore, we will always vote for the Abbots. Yeah. They'll convince us that only Abbott can beat Beto O'Rourke. Right. Sometimes you need to do one step back to go two steps forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's like 20 steps back, though, just saying. And, and, and we're on the edge of a cliff, so. It's, <laughs> yeah, all right. The two I'm, steps liking, I'm liking Daniel fine. Miller's approach more and more, so. <laughs> yeah, okay, Ed Maslish, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, explain and speak about as passionately as you like this new executive order on cryptocurrencies. What is it mm -hmm. and what does it matter? Well, what is it? They're, they're trying to regulate cryptocurrencies. Um, as far as the, the players in the, in the industry, they seem to like it. Uh, it seems like there's already a captive industry thing going on. Um, the the, bill, the uh, executive order was issued today. It was leaked overnight. You would have thought that cryptocurrencies just today would have been, would have been hammered with the possibility and prospect of government regulation. And, and given the, uh, you know, later in the executive order, it also talks about studying the feasibility of a digital dollar, a central bank issued digital currency, which I've also, that's really the big bugaboo that I've been talking about for the last year and a half or so. And you'd think that, that the crypto people would be freaked out that that's going to moot, not just moot what they do, but uh, potentially make make the federal government ban them and outlaw it, uh, but they're they're all happy about it. The, today was a really good day in the crypto markets. Um, I, I I still stand by what I said about uh, a digital currency being a, a genuine threat to our liberty, uh, much more so than a social security number and identifying us or a vaccine passport. Um, but that the uh, there are, I think, six points in the, in the executive order, and they're trying to study the feasibility of regulating cryptocurrency, uh, trying to prevent the illegal transactions that they say uh, are uh, facilitated by cryptocurrency. Um, and they want to study the feasibility of the, of the digital dollar, which is something that I think they really are trying to do. And frankly, I think that the, the Ukraine-Russia war and the sanctions are all related to that. I think I think that overthrowing the dollar is really what's what's the agenda here. And overthrowing the dollar is going to lead to financial chaos and fiscal chaos. And I think that's what the Democrats want. That's what and not just the Democrats. I think that's what the left wants. That's what Soros wants. And they, they think that they can cash in on that and they can take over once they once they overthrow the dollar. I think that's what they think they're going to do. Now, I don't understand crypto much as I try. But my understanding from my New Hampshire crypto friends 
is that their types of crypto will never be interrupted by the government, so they don't really care what the government does. Does that make any sense? I mean, that's like a drug dealer saying, you know, he's, they're never going to catch me. I mean, if they make it, if they if they were to ban it or or regulate it in such a way that you have to make disclosures to the government and and these people don't make those disclosures, eventually you're going to get government agents that are going to set up sting operations to try and catch these people and put them in jail. That's what's going to happen. Now, I'm going to go back a long, long time before many of you were born. But when I first went to a certain overseas country whose name won't be mentioned, um, everything was done on the black market. And having grown up as a uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy law abiding, you know, flag saluting citizen, the idea of black market to trade money was unbelievably foreign and repulsive to me. And I, I learned how to do it like everybody else. And I remember asking naively, why is there a black market? And the answer was because the government, the government needs to do their trading on the black market even more than the people do. I don't know if that's a global issue or not. And even when this um, unidentified country changed many of its laws, the black market may have taken a hit, but my understanding is it still survives. So I don't know if it's gonna be the same thing with crypto, sort of like, does every government need the Cayman Islands, need Switzerland, and need some form of crypto, or am I totally off base? Well, not the government, but the people in the government. You know, I mean, the government doesn't need that as an institution, but the people who want to grift off of government uh, activities need somewhere to put their ill-gotten gains. Um, I was actually told back then that the government was buying dollars on the black market. Again, I don't know that firsthand, but that's what I was told. Well, the government doesn't have to buy dollars. I mean, they, they, they print them. No, no, I'm not talking about the American government. Oh, this other country's government. You mean they buy physical paper They would dollars. actually buy their dollars on the black market for whatever reason. Oh, the yeah. Government well, no, that, yeah, I mean, there are certain intelligence agencies who do that so they can get dollars um, that are untraceable to then give to other people. Yeah. Outside of the United States. That's right. That. But wouldn't that mean that there's always going to be a need for a crypto crypto because everybody needs some place to hide something? I, see, this is exactly where I disagree with uh, my good friend, Ed. I, I do think that the amount of graft that is in you know, our government, every government, um, requires some sort of cash. Um, I, I think that one of the reasons they want to go to an all digital currency is to track every single transaction. So you can't, for instance, give somebody $20 for crack or whatever you have to, <laughs> to give them your credit card or whatever. Or you just pay somebody off the books. I mean, um, that happens all the time. <laughs> Well, you know, if you don't have any cash, you got to, you know, what what was this exchange of money between you and Mr. Drug Dealer? I, you know, they, they have all that. But the problem is the $20 for the for the rock of crack um, is not, you know, it's not what this is interested in. It's they're interested in, you know, large transactions by large, you know, very wealthy people. And I, I have a feeling that they'll use it preferentially to, um you know, ignore the large transactions of their friends and to put their enemies in jail. I and mean, that's exactly what Putin did in in uh, Russia. He put the his friend his his friendly oligarchs did well, and his non-friendly oligarchs ended up in Siberia. 
and I, I think you know a lot of the uh, a lot of these countries um, do that, uh, where they you know I, I think Elon Musk is becoming a liability to our government, and I have a feeling that they're going to. Uh, I have a feeling that they're they're going to go after him too. Um, I mean, he's going to share a room with Julian Assange somewhere. Well, it's not that. It's just you know they've been holding up his permit for this new you know rocket thing in Texas. Uh, the government, the U.S. government, has been holding that up for no particular reason. Um, the uh, he's got the Air Force uh, kind of addicted to his rockets, um, but there's all sorts of things they could do to Tesla, which is where he makes his real money. That would um, that really hurt him, which they would love to do um, to to prop up the failing other car and, you know, GMs and, and uh, Chrysler's and Fords and, and whatnot, uh, as, as they make the transition to electric vehicles at government gunpoint. So I, I, you know, again, if you're a rich guy, if you're a poor guy and wants a $20 rocket crack, the digital currency is not gonna matter. But if you're a rich guy and you want to, you know, graft, you're going to have to become much more creative. But if there is no cash, you're going to have trouble buying that crack. Well, you just, you know, you pay him. You say, oh, he's selling me a book. I don't know. You I'm know. saying, you're going to have it sounds, you, you, It sounds like you're making the argument that they made for the income tax when it first came in, that it's only going to affect the small group of people. But in reality, these people are, are setting up a totalitarian apparatus. Yeah, yeah, it's a total, and it can be used. Like, I mean, okay, so I'm going to the neighborhood crack dealer, and I'm I'm giving him this, and you know, and we all have smartphones, and he writes, you know, book in there, and I give him the twenty dollars, and he gives me the rock of crack. Um, I mean, they tried the six hundred dollar thing only a few months ago. Yeah, so they're going to go pretty low. Where the AI will be so good. I mean, right now AI sucks, but AI will be so good. And it's like, why are you keep buying individual books from this guy down, you know? And and they'll you know they'll send someone around if they can find a policeman, you know. Or this you is see? the One World Order coming from Scripture, and it's a book of Revelation, and the Antichrist is going to use crypto. Just saying. Is that it's all been prophesied? The only thing I disagree about Revelation is that there'll be one Antichrist. I look around and I see him everywhere. Well, yeah, the spirit of Antichrist is everywhere, but the actual Antichrist, yeah. So that's why I'm watching this whole thing over there with Europe. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? I'm waiting for the seven-year uh, peace agreement to come to fruition. Well, we but can yeah, have an American Idol show. To Say it again. We can have like American Idol to pick the newest Antichrist. I don't know, man. It's it's scary stuff. I mean, it's good stuff because it's coming to light, but it's yeah, it's scary stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How about everybody talk about what we didn't talk about? Gina, you want to go? Oh, that we didn't talk about? I don't think we have anything that we didn't talk about that I have in mind. No, I got nothing. All right. Well, there, there was some interesting news, um, and Ed probably would be best thing to weigh in on, on this was about section 230 and uh clarence thomas apparently dropping a, a maybe not so subtle hint that he wants a case brought before the supreme court on section 230 i did not yeah, hear I, that i saw that uh, he's he's he, he he intimates that there's a a way of reading the statute to reform it to to a better result 
I'm not sure I agree with him. I'd like to see that case be brought. Uh, the statute is written pretty broadly. Um, and I mean, my, my well, we all know the intent of the statute, and that is to allow public fora like Facebook or Twitter to ban pornography. It was, in fact, the, you know, Communications Decency right. Act. They wanted to give them the ability to moderate content specifically so they can have family-friendly material. And so Facebook does ban porn, and so does Instagram, but Twitter doesn't. And that's the kind of choice that they wanted to make. The idea that they have taken this alleged power beyond the, the intent of the framers of this law so that now they can ban, uh, you know, ban people and curate based on things other than quote-unquote decency you know, even now when we're getting into like, you know, medical stuff that they can ban people for, for doing that. I mean, that's way beyond what the framers of the law said. And, and I think agreed, that's kind of Agreed, Ed, but there's a, the, the flip side of that is, should judges be going by the intent of the drafters or by the, the words that are chosen? I don't and, think you can understand the words without going by the intent. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the conservative and the libertarian side has, has long argued that, uh, you know, Justice Scalia famously wrote articles about how uh, legislative intent is irrelevant. It's only what only the only thing that matters is what was written into the statute. And, um, you know, I'm thinking right now about the, the arguments for using Section three of the 14th Amendment to keep Republicans off the ballot for having participated in the January 6th issue. If you read Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, all it says is, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but if you participated in insurrection, you're disqualified from office. And, yeah, and we you know, all know course, what they meant, and it should go by what they meant. Correct. But I mean, what they, me what they meant is one thing, but what they wrote is another thing. And, um, I, you know, I still think that, I mean, in that particular example, I think that without a ruling from Congress expelling the particular member, I don't think that that's that 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 qualifies as insurrection, but I'm just saying the conservative libertarian legal side, you know, uh, you know, legal, uh, you know, legal fear. Uh, we've always said that it's always about the words chosen, not about intent. We don't know what their intent was. We know what the words say and what the words meant when they wrote them. Yeah, I'm uh, not as much of a literalist when it comes to that as you are, but that's uh, that's just me. So I'm going to ask the, the obvious question is why do we need courts when last I look, we're paying Congress billions of dollars a year. Why can't they clarify the law? This is not an emergency. It always, it always comes to intent. I mean, how it's interpreted by the, the no, court. They can, they can rewrite it to make it very clear what they mean, but they have no interest in ever making decisions. Well, that's why I said, because it's always- Well, and the Democrats in charge don't want to change it. The I mean, it, right, right now, Section 230 acts as a delegation from Congress to private companies to engage in censorship. That's what's going, that's what's going on. And that's the real unconstitutional thing that's going on. Um, I'd love to see Clarence Thomas talk about that rather than trying to reinterpret section 230. I think the, the better view of section 230 is that it, it's as written, it allows, it delegates censorship abilities or censorship responsibility from the federal government to a private entity and a private entity that is regularly brought before Congress and threatened with future regulation, if not criminal prosecution, if they don't engage in the censorship policies that the, 
the, the ruling class wants. Mm -hmm. So all I'm saying is that to add on to that is even if we had 400 Republicans in Congress, they would not touch us with a 10 foot pole because they'd rather dump it on the fourth state or you know the fourth branch or on the courts. They would never want to have to get into the nitty gritty and have responsibility for their decisions. Well, that gets into what we were, what I was saying in the last segment, that the Republican Party is really the thing that's in the way of any kind of real reform that can ever happen. Yep. I mean, lots of people look at what the Democrats do and say, oh, my God, we've got to get rid of these people. And then the Republicans come in, you know, they, they say, oh, you know, under new management, new leadership, you know, Biden bad, Democrats bad. And what do they do? They, they basically do the same things. Mm -hmm. They send the checks to a slightly different address and they slow it down by one mile an hour on a good day. On they some don't days, fight I think for they accelerate it. All right. I said on a good day. Okay, Mike, what would you like to talk about? Uh, just real quick, out of New Jersey, the, uh, the budget address, I think, came out this week and Murphy proposed like $49 billion in spending. And, uh, you know, I was embroiled in a lot of those budget battles uh, down in Trenton over the years when I was at AFP and used to track how it went up every year. And I could tell you, going back to like the first year at Christie, we were probably around 30 or 32 billion. So within just 12 years, despite all the economic headwinds we're facing, and especially now, we're going to be up like about another 50% over 12 years. Um, it's just absolutely insane. Uh, our budget is like twice as big as North Carolina, just to give you a sense of how, how much they, they just spend like crazy. And, uh, you know, while that's going on, they want to offer us tax, property tax rebates, which I'm surprised they didn't do last year when, when uh, Murphy was up for re-election and the entire legislature to try to buy some votes, because that's basically what it is, the vote buying gimmick. But that's, that's the crumb that they're about to throw to us now, while we have inflation and yeah, taxes going up the wazoo. And, uh, you know, New Jersey is just a failed state. It's just another example of how it will continue to be a failed state. I just don't know how you can get away with spending so much money. Um, you know, we have pension and health benefit crises, not only in New Jersey, but across the country. And, and the spending just continues unabated. So, so may I correct you just saying this to make Ed M feel so good? He, he, he knows that, that he's much better off right now than he was uh, two years ago. What's the comparative populations of North Carolina and New Jersey? Uh, well, I can't tell you off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure New North Carolina has a bigger population, bigger landmass. Yet somehow they survive and prosper with spending some of the about half as much on their state budget. I saw some of the stories that Mike is alluding to, and I think North Carolina has six times the the land space and one and a half times the population of New Jersey. So wow. the population of North Carolina is 10 and a half million. The population of New Jersey is 8.9 million. Okay. So it's a fifth more. <clears throat> and North Carolina obviously has super liberal uh, influence in the triangle at the very least. Right. Yeah. And in Charlotte, which is awful. The politics in Charlotte are just terrible. And Asheville. Oh. Well, you know what? Seeing as I touched on it, you know, you don't hear too much about these pension and health benefit crises that are going on in the states and with everything else that's going on right now. I just have to wonder how soon that time bomb is going to explode. 
And then, the, then the question becomes how they deal with it. Washington will bail you out. After, well, uh, that I'm sorry, after like um, 10 years of propaganda uh, saying the post office doesn't take any money, I noticed that in this giant bill is authorization to spend like hundred and some odd billion dollars on the post office to restructure it. So it's, it's that kind of, you know. All right, as the oldest member of this group can I ask a question, is anyone here old enough to remember when a hundred billion dollars was a lot of money? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, we literally, we, like even a trillion today, yeah, it's a trillion. It's unfathomable. Brian, what have we not covered that you wanted to uh, talk about? I don't know that we haven't uh, covered it. My big issue was, uh, you know, the gas prices and uh, the administration's continued attack on, you know, the energy industry and the Americans in general through the energy industry. So um, I think we touched on that pretty good. Uh, like I said, I, I just am amazed that they, they started from day one, you know, dismantling the oil and gas industry and then, uh, you know, their solution to the high gas prices is just to go out and buy a, a car for Gina. So, is this news going to destroy um, air traffic once again, just as they're trying to climb out of the hole? Uh, yeah, you know, we're supposed to get the uh, high tra uh, high speed rail that goes like all around the world and uh, gets rid of all the farting cows and all that. Oh, stuff. Hawaii. So, you want you want to talk <laughs> about boondoggles? High speed train, high high speed rail. High speed trains to Hawaii, folks. Yep, get rid of all those farting cows too. So that, that'll be some channel. <laughs> Ed P. So I have a few things to talk about. I'm going to talk about them real fast because we want to get out of here. Um, uh, number one, last week I said that the Ukrainians could um, continue to uh, sort of attrit the Russians to the point where the Russians are going to have to, you know, basically decide to withdraw. I, I do think things have changed a little bit. I, I, I don't think, uh, you know, again, if the Ukrainians fight, they can fight the Russians to a draw, but um, the Russians are making gains in the South and in the East more than I think they should. The Ukrainians are still fighting very well and they're just killing a hell of a lot of Russians, but the Russians keep coming. Um, all the Russian forces are engaged now. There are none in reserve. Um, after a few weeks, they'll get tired and they'll have to be replaced and there are no replacements for everyone. So it's, it's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens. I think I was a little bit optimistic in thinking that uh, two weeks is going to be all the Russians can take. Um, they, are, they are a mess around Kiev. The Russians are just a complete mess, um, but they are making um, progress and other things. So that gives us to, are we going to make peace? And the the good news on that is that the, both the Russians and the Ukrainians have backed off uh, some of their demands. The Russians want um, the Luhansk, Donetsk oblasts and Crimea officially turned over to them. And they want um, no NATO, no Ukrainian NATO, but they've dropped their demands for like replacing Zelensky and um, complete disarmament and a bunch of other little things. And Zelensky has agreed to no, U, uh, no NATO. Um, <clears throat> so they're still arguing about Crimea, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, Zelensky doesn't wanna be the elected president to give away 
yeah, you know, a third of the productive capacity of this country. But on the other hand, I think that's and is going to end up uh, being what's happening. So I, I think from the standpoint of peace, I, I think we're getting closer to peace. I, I really do, um, because they're just they're, there's lots of Ukrainians dying. There's lots of Russians dying and there are a lot of Russians dying. I mean, I, I got to tell you, uh, way more than there should have been. So I think everybody is is going to get tired uh, relatively soon and will be at peace. Now that said, that's the one thing. The second thing is I wanted to point out, which is very, very interesting, how fast the propaganda moves in, um, moved in the United States when it came to this war. And the, the weird thing is that I don't even think it's a propaganda. I think like the whole country moved like all at once without like any top down. I don't think it was like there was an order by Biden and then everybody, I think it was just all kind of spontaneous. This is the new thing. And everybody moved into the, <clears throat> into the, uh, you know, we should support the Ukrainians. Now I happen to think we should support the Ukrainians, but I have better reasons than that. But I, I just, I'm amazed that it took, the COVID cult took like months to develop. And sort of the, the Ukraine cult took less than a week. Um, this whole like flocking behavior of pretty much everyone in the country is so, per, you know, so pernicious because you, you never know who, where the next thing is <clears throat> that they're going to uh, flock to. I don't think there's any <clears throat> particular leadership. Uh, Joe Biden was being credited for galvanizing the world. And in fact, Biden was leading by, from behind. I think the Europeans were the ones that were leading the effort to you know, stop Russia because they are scared of Russia because they have reason to be scared of Russia. Um, so, I, but it is amazing. I was just talking to somebody in Czechoslovakian or Czech, Czechia, I guess. And, you know, how is the war propaganda there? And, eh, you know, there's some, but not a lot. And like, you can't, excuse me, go five minutes without being just inundated with war propaganda, especially the United States should go into this war on behalf of the Ukrainians. And we, you know, we shouldn't close the new fly, new fly zone. And we should, you know, um, we're already a belligerent by giving them arms, you know, by the rules of war, if you give arms to one of the belligerents, you become a belligerent. But I guess people have ignored that since the Second World War. So um, it's just, I just think it's crazy. And then a U.S. Senator said somebody should kill Putin. I mean, that's, I mean, if, if Sean Hattie says that, he's a blowhard, nobody cares. But for Lindsey Graham to say somebody should kill Putin, and that's just, that is just out of bounds completely. And people should disown Lindsey Graham for saying that. Not that I'm a Putin fan, mind you, but you just don't go around saying, government officials don't go around saying, uh, let's murder other government officials who we don't like. That's just not, that is not kosher as they say. So I, I do think the propaganda is nuts. And I, I wonder how, how we got to this place, how we got to like, and it's not top down, it's, it's not bottom up. It's just everybody all at once. And I, I don't exactly know how we got, got here, but it's, it's very frightening because, you know, while I do think you know, there's nothing, I, I, I do think the Ukrainians fighting for their own country, um, as terrible as their government actually is, is, is a worthy thing to support. 
um, God knows what this flock will, you know, get onto next. And it, it could very well be like the COVID cult, very, very bad. So well, Ed, I got to say, that was exactly what motivated me to write the article that I wrote. Um, I, I'm so stunned, really, at the total lack of circumspection or, or questioning. I mean, maybe Putin shouldn't have invaded. Maybe the Russians are the bad guys. Um, I, I, I've given my view that I don't think they are, but I can certainly see the argument on that side. Uh, but we've got people that, I mean, I understand that, the, you know, that some people on the, on, you know, Biden's side of the political aisle are going to fall in behind him. But we've got so many people that question the COVID cult, you know, whether from day one, like I did, or that, you know, after time came to see that there's something not right about this. And they started to see all the lies that these government people were telling us, not just about COVID, but as I mentioned in the article about, you know, whether peaceful, you know, whether, you know, riots and looting were peaceful protests. And, you know, people questioned that and said, well, wait a minute, this, this narrative is not true. It's, it, they're lying to us. And with, with the Ukraine situation, nobody is questioning anything. It's just, we're all going to fall in support of, of Ukraine without question, without thought, really. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's how fast it's happened. So yeah, Glenn Greenwald, who's always a contrarian, wrote an article today on, um, on the biolab thing. Um, and, uh, you know, people are calling him a Nazi and a, and a Putin, uh, you know, uh, defender and all that. And of course, we know that, I mean, he's, you know, he's different, Glenn Greenwald, but he's certainly none of that. Um, and so the, the, you know, when will the cancel culture that has been implemented for anybody who's against the COVID cult um, be applied to anyone who's pointing out, you know, US culpability and a lot of the problems that eventually led to this war and, and you know, the biolab thing and whatnot. When will, when will anybody who mentions that on social media be, be canceled? So it, it's, it's, it's- Glenn Greenwald had a really interesting tweet a couple of days ago where he, uh, he admitted he didn't have evidence, but he, he postulated that maybe the goal here, maybe the goal in Ukraine is to turn Ukraine into another Syria or Lebanon that where the war just keeps going on forever and basically satisfies the appetites of our military contractors and destroys the country, but keeps the ever going war going. Well, I mean, maybe, I, I think from the Russian perspective that there was a document that leaked that, that showed that the, you know, again, who knows, but the document purported to show that uh, Ukraine was to be divided, to be divided up in six parts, three of which were to um, be incorporated into Russia. Um, one into Belarusia and the other two, a very small rump uh, state be, you know, made two neutral states, not one, not one, but two neutral states. I, I listened to a very long interview with Alexander Dugin, who is a philosophy, a philosopher in Russia, a Russian philosopher who is um, said to be Putin's, you know, philosophy inspiration. He's, he's not with them now, but former. No, well, I mean, you know, they had a falling out on a, a number of things. I mean, one of which is he thought Putin should um, be a lot more brutal, to be honest. That's one of the things they had a falling out over. Um, but, you know, he's, he's very much in line. He's a very interesting fellow. Um, it, it, it's a very alien mode of thought, you know, so it's, it's not something that you'll 
you'll enjoy listening to because it doesn't like fit into the neat categories that we have. But he definitely thinks that um, Russians have a right to a, essentially a Russian empire and, uh, and that it should be imposed by force. So it was very interesting, very interesting talk. Um, sort of get at kind of what, what the Russian mind is on, on this. Um, but yeah, the, from the propaganda perspective, we're, uh, I, and I don't even look at the news. I don't watch, you know, the television news. I don't like read CNN. I don't read anything. All I'm reading is a few Substack people like Greenwald, and I'm reading firsthand accounts of the military situation in Ukraine. And even there, I can tell that the propaganda is coming hot and heavy. Um, and I, I must say that Ukrainian government is doing a masterful job of in their propaganda war, uh, just absolutely masterful. Um, they're, you know, they're making stuff. I mean, some of the stuff is true, but they're making stuff up and it's getting, you know, enormous press, uh, whether it's the ghost of Kiev or the, you know, the reactor that was supposed to be uh, taken under fire. I mean, there, uh, there's a bunch of things that they made up. Uh, the, the, Bobby Yar. The, Bobby Yar, the people getting killed in the Snake Island, they really did say, you know, mm -hmm. what they said, but, you know, for them being killed, they're, and they're just mastering the propaganda war. And the Russians are being so incredibly stupid because this is the first iPhone war, right? So every Ukrainian soldier goes into battle with, you know, an AK and an iPhone. And every Russian soldier is kept totally in the dark about what's going on and is not allowed to have their phone. And so we get only the Ukrainian perspective. Every Russian tank that's been destroyed or APC or everything, we all get it. And we get nothing on the other side because they only have like three embedded reporters on the Russian side. It's just, they, they really screwed it up. They're very clumsy Soviet style propaganda effort is not, you know, the Russians is not fooling anyone, but it's really very interesting. I mean, you have to go to Gab now to find, to, to get RT because everybody's banned RT. It's like, what, what, what happened to the First Amendment? Why, why is RT banned? Um, the American version of RT. Uh, it's very clumsy and the Ukrainian propaganda is just, is just brilliant. Just sitting back and looking at it as a, as a military tactic. Uh, they've done it. They've done a great job. Zelensky has done a great job. So, um, hey, Adam, you want to be clean up? Yeah, I got uh, two things, one serious and one sort of fun, I guess. But um, the, the serious one is I've, I, I would just build off of what Brian had said. You know, Brian talked about gas prices. And I think we, we didn't really get into the larger story of how inflation is really starting to get out of control. Uh, commodity prices, cobalt nickel, uh, copper, tin, uh, all sorts of raw materials are going through the roof, lumber. Uh, I've got a contractor at my house right now. Uh, he was telling me that he was looking at price. He gave me prices for boards that were, was $4 and something cents about two weeks ago, and it's over $7 now. Um, I've noticed just at, at my local pump, uh, gas has gone up from $3.39 to $3.99 uh, in the last seven days. Uh, food prices are going up. Uh, 
There's also been reports that a lot of countries are uh, stopping food exports because they're afraid of food shortages in their own countries. Um, so I, I think that uh, economic conditions are getting a lot worse and people don't quite see it yet. Um, the, the signs are there for, for people who follow the financial markets and you know, the economic markets. Um, you know, the, the major stock indices are all in uh, correction or bear market territory, correction being 10% down from their highs and bear market being 20% off of their highs. Um, uh, I think that there's, there's at least a, a good amount of evidence that we're, we're in the summer of August, uh, you know, we're in the summer of 1929 when the roaring 20s came to an end. The stock market crash didn't really hit, didn't hit until October, uh, but the recession started over the summer. Um, and I, I think that inflation is, is really starting to get out of control. And I, and I question whether the e economy is not about to go off the cliff. Um, and we didn't, you know, I don't know that there's much more to say about that. I guess we'll see some economic numbers. Uh, I believe they're going to release some numbers tomorrow. Oh, no, today is Wednesday. I think, I forget if it's going to be Thursday or Friday of this week, but I think some new numbers are coming out. Um, and I expect, I expect that we're going to be talking a little bit more about inflation in the you know next week's show. Um, and the more fun thing, I don't know, maybe not fun, maybe I'm overstating that. Uh, I love that daylight savings is coming. Uh, I love having more sunlight in the evening. Uh, I tend to be an early riser, but I don't need to have sunshine at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, I love to have sunshine later in the evening and be able to go out and enjoy sunshine late in the day. Uh, I am a proponent of having uh, double daylight savings between Memorial Day and Labor Day and have sunlight all the way past, you know, almost the 10 o'clock to where I am, or I guess it'd be after 10 o'clock here. Um, I like that we're going to have that this weekend. So that's not really a political story, but uh, just thought I'd mention that. Okay. And Was Steve, be, before, uh, before you close out, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Tiana, Daniel and David, who were chiming in in the comment section. Guys, we're happy to take any of your questions. So next week, if you're listening, please uh, shoot us some uh, some questions your way, our way. Great. Thanks, Mike. I am told that next week we will have probably Daniel Miller and or a representative from Texas to update us in some of the goings on there. So I look forward to that. And with that, I wish everyone a good evening. Thank you for being with us. We'll be up as a podcast within about an hour. And as always, share feedback by emailing us at the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block. Actually, on libertyblock.com. Sorry. Have a wonderful evening.